Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the incredibly strong and resilient Rosalia Rivera. Rosalia is a consent educator, abuse prevention specialist, sexual literacy advocate, fellow podcaster, and founder of Consent Parenting. She teaches parents how to educate their children on body safety, boundaries, and consent so they can empower their families to prevent abuse and break intergenerational cycles. Rosalia is on a mission to end sexual abuse, dismantle shame, and help survivors heal and become thrivers. Yes, yes, yes to all of that. I am so thrilled to have her here today to share her story. Welcome, Rosalia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So first question, I would love to know what led you here. Can you tell us about the defining experience of your life? Yeah, well, I mean, there were there were two that kind of they're joined at the hip in a sense. The first was when I was younger and my oldest sister disclosed about her sexual abuse. It's incest. And so it was a very shocking moment. But at the same time, knowing who that individual was, it it also didn't surprise me. Um, But because of my own relationship with that particular individual, I think there was shock and awe and sort of a disassociation almost where I ended up repressing my own memories about that individual. And although my sister's disclosure was very impactful and it actually drove me to want to help survivors to figure out a way to find healing uh, because it explained so much about my sister. I went into the field of psychology, but I wasn't ready at the time. I, I didn't have the mindset or skill set to really navigate diving into that topic. And I ended up taking a left turn and went into a completely different career in photography and marketing. And then cut to, I became a mother. I had a, a marketing agency at the time. I was pregnant with my second child and uh, my my first was going to be going into daycare. I realized I hadn't educated my own child about this issue because I think a lot of it was just avoidance and denial. But it kind of hit me in the face that, oh my gosh, this is something that I've really been putting on the back burner and avoiding until you know, that term of like the chickens come home to roost and you have nothing but to face this issue head on. And uh, when I, when I recognized that I needed to do it, it also, all of these suppressed memories rose to the surface. And I realized that there was so much that I needed to confront. And if I was going to break the cycle and make sure that my own children didn't experience what my sister and I experienced, I needed to do something about that. And so what happened was that I essentially started trying to educate myself about abuse prevention so I could teach my child. It became very evident that it was going to be a very difficult process because it was triggering. I didn't know how to navigate that. I had so much more compassion for my sister and what she went through in motherhood. And I dedicated myself to healing myself and to finding a way forward um, because I wasn't going to let the fear uh, and the triggers debilitate me and not educate my kids. 
my mother is a survivor, which I also ended up finding out about through this process. And it, it opened my eyes to why she was not able to teach us about it. It was, again, just a really triggering experience. So through that, I realized, okay, well, where can I find support? Like, who can I turn to that understands what I'm going through and can help me through this? And there really wasn't anyone. There was no one who was talking about it from the perspective of a survivor parent. And that is what gave me the idea of of becoming a consent educator, really diving back into the passion that I had when I was really young and my sister first disclosed and I wanted to go into psychology. And so I thought, this is, this is it. This is my calling. And I really dedicated myself to learning everything I could about abuse prevention and how to navigate this, you know, as a survivor parent so I could help other survivor parents. And that's how Consent Parenting and About Consent, the podcast, was born. Oh, thank you for sharing this. It's so, so important that we talk about it. Thank you for your support. It's been life-altering and in the most empowering way. And I am just so grateful that I get to help other parents when I get messages from them that say, you know, this has really helped me so much. And I didn't know that there were people out there. I mean, it just, it, it, it has opened so many eyes and healed so many people. Not that what I do is actually heal them, but it's allowed them to have the courage to step into their own healing journeys. And uh, that's just, you know, that, that wakes me up every day, you know, that gets me out of bed every day. So thanks for your support on that. Oh, absolutely. So you mentioned your healing journey. Can you take us sort of through how that process started for you and where you are now with it? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always believed in therapy and when I was younger and decided to go into the field of psychology and I I actually went to school for psychology for three years in university before I left, but I always recognized the power of processing through conversation, through sharing my story in some way, shape or form with someone. And, and so I recognized that that was something that I could tap into Um, And I was very fortunate at the time to have the privilege to do that because I know that mental health professionals uh, who want to help, obviously, they do need to have a career and make money. And so it's not always accessible for everyone. So I felt really grateful that I had access to that. And I decided to really dedicate myself to finding someone who could really help me work through this. And I this time decided to look into hypnotherapy. Because I felt like even though I knew that I needed a lot of processing, I also knew that a lot of it was really subconscious, particularly because I had so many buried memories. Like there were pieces that were coming up, but they didn't all make sense. And so I really sought out working with a hypnotherapist. And that was tremendously helpful as a person who's really visual, being able to to have these really powerful visualizations of reclaiming my power not just to unearth the past, but to really find a way forward. That was really what helped me recognize that it's doable for everyone. And I wanted to find tools, right, that could help me navigate the day-to-day as well. So it wasn't just about unearthing the past or figuring out, you know, what the problems were, but also managing the moments that, came up regularly when I was trying to teach something to my child and then got triggered by it. You know, I remember reading 
a book and the story, you know, it's a book for kids. And the story was really triggering for me. And I thought I have to, I know this is important information for my child. Like they're not seeing it the way that I'm seeing it. So I don't want to transfer my anxiety to them. And so how do I do that? And working with someone who could help me learn about EFT and learn about breathing techniques and develop, you know, mindfulness practices that could really help me manage those things, um, help me develop so many techniques that could help my kids do that too. So it's just been so healing in so many ways. And, you know, when you step into this and you start unearthing, yeah, it's going to be there's, it's going to be tricky in, in a lot of ways. And, and there's been so many tools that I've picked up along the way that I've been able to like figure out how to share with others because I'm not a therapist and I don't claim to be, but I want to share what I've learned, what my journey has been so that it can maybe enlighten others for their own journeys, you know? So yeah, uh, I, I continue to be on that healing journey. You know, there's, there's things that will always come up and things that I you know need to continue resolving um, but I feel like I actually now have the capacity to do that. And that's been incredibly powerful. So many things of what you just said. I, I'm, I'm writing notes here like a maniac because I want to make sure to go back and touch on all of them. You mentioned sharing your story. And obviously that's a big part of what you do. And I think that is so important because like you said, that's part of your own healing, right? Is sharing that but it's also a way to connect with other people who have been through the same thing and are on their own healing journey. So I just feel like, because I, I, it's funny, I know when, you know, when I've done therapy, you've obviously done therapy and therapists aren't allowed to share their own experiences. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, there's such value in therapy. I'm a huge fan, but I really do feel like when you talk to someone like you, for example, who can provide a different kind of healing in that storytelling, in that sharing of such personal stuff, I feel like there's such value in that, mm-hmm. right? That we can't get from a traditional therapy. So while I, I definitely see, what I mean to say is I, I definitely see a value in both, but I really do love that you've taken on that important role of sharing your own experiences in order to help not only yourself, but others as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I've, I've really am just paying that forward because of the survivors that I've heard them share their stories and in a really, you know, in a way that's in integrity with them. And I, I really believe that it is important for survivors to share their stories if they can Um, And I I certainly don't ever want anyone to feel pressure to have to tell theirs. But if you can and you're able to and it feels healing to you to do that, it is know that it can be incredibly healing for someone else to hear it, Mm. because that is what it was for me. I've I've heard other survivors share and I recognize their courage to share it. And it, it really has helped open my eyes to say, oh, it didn't that didn't just happen to me or that's actually more common than it should be, but it's not just me. So it really destigmatizes the conversation Mm. when someone is able to share, because in sharing, you are saying, I recognize that this shame does not belong to me. And I recognize that I was not at fault Um, because when we don't share, if we feel that we have to keep something a secret because we have shame, that doesn't allow you to heal. So 
I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you should share publicly loud and wide. It just means that being able to unburden yourself to share what happened to you can have a huge impact on how you feel about yourself. And so, you know, I, again, I'm just paying it forward because it, that's what has helped me also be able to share is hearing other survivors and thrivers share their stories. Yes, absolutely. There's courage in sharing and there's also courage in not, right? Mm -hmm. In knowing that it's not the right maybe time for you. So I, I do want people just to hear that, to know that absolutely sharing can be so healing and releasing that shame is huge, but there's also courage in knowing your own boundaries and limits and just, you know, maybe this isn't the right time. And maybe you have a little bit more healing to do before you can pay it forward yourself. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I'd say, listen to your inner knowing mm. your, your inner gut will tell you, is this the right time? If you've been feeling like you want to get it off your chest and you want to share it with someone, then do it. And if you feel like right now is not it, then know that that's okay too. And you get to choose that because you're the narrator of that. Absolutely. Talk to me about triggers and how you've handled that. Because I know as we heal, it's not like we can eliminate those triggers, right? I think mm -hmm. the true healing and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the true healing comes from getting to a place where we can still come up against those triggers because they are out there. Right. And being able to deal with them in a healthy way. Right. Yeah. And, and to, so tell me about your experience with triggers and how you've, you've learned to navigate those. I've studied a lot about the nervous system since I started on this journey, because I realized that we can just try to work from a place of mind, but also connecting it to the body and recognizing that there are things that were wired together when we were young, right? And patterns that were wired together. So uh, a lot of it has to do with just, first of all, developing self-awareness, like more self-awareness around what your triggers are and when they can come up so that then you can utilize tools to, you know, like we talk about in parenting, uh, coaching, we, you know, that we help our children to regulate themselves, right. To regulate their, their nervous systems. Well, we essentially need to do the same as adults. And so for me, some of that has come from being a uterus owner and having a cycle, recognizing that because my body is cyclical, I've learned about you know, when you are actually more sensitive to triggers versus when you have more capacity to handle them. And so one of the things that I've, that I work with parents to teach them is that, um, you know, if you have a uterus and you have a cycle, but even if you don't, and you can use the moon cycle to help track your energy, you can figure out when is the time to teach my children specific things that I know may be triggering to me versus, you know, an optimal time that might be better, right. To, to be able to, to do that. So learning about your cycle, using the rhythm of your energy can really help with when should I talk to my kids about these particular topics that maybe are difficult for me or having those conversations with family members that, you know, might be triggering, right. So learning how to navigate that is one. The other are, is EFT or People know it as tapping to help relieve some charge in a moment, uh, a trigger that you may be going through. So if you've if you've never heard of EFT, 
definitely look into it if you find that you need help with regulating in a moment. For me, sometimes I have consultations with parents that share stuff uh, that, you know, can trigger me and, and they, it's no fault of their own, but it's uh, a conversation that at the end I may need to, you know, use EFT to self-regulate because it was really triggering. And on a regular basis, I meditate a daily basis. I, I make sure that I start off my day coming from a place of grounding. So that's another really helpful strategy for me personally. And breathing techniques. So learning different breathing techniques that can help you navigate in a moment, like, you know, you're talking to your, your child or your child says something or discloses something that, you, you know, can trigger you knowing how to get yourself grounded to handle that moment is really powerful. So breathing is another one that I always go to. So those are, I think my, my four main ones. And then of course, just seeing a therapist regularly, not slacking on that, because sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm, I think I'm doing fine now, you know, and I can go without talking to someone. Um, and I realize, oh, it, it builds up because I haven't talked it out, you know. So I think finding someone that you feel comfortable with and you can see regularly and just staying on top of your own mental health is really important. Absolutely. So I'm not familiar with EFT. What does that stand for? Uh, so it's called emotional freedom technique and it was a practice. Well, it's been a practice that I've known about now for the last, I guess, eight years, but I didn't really start practicing it myself until about five years ago. And you can find tons of information on it online, but it, it's also known as tapping and it's basically using different meridian points in your body that can basically activate the nervous system to calm down. So these are points based, I believe, on Chinese medicine. And so when you tap on these points in your body, so you would tap right above your eyes, uh, right under your cheeks, cheekbones, um, different parts of your body, your chest, your hand, your head. So you do these in conjunction with some statements, empowering statements that you get to choose what that is. And you do this until you actually will feel in your body that it's becoming regulated. So it basically is a way for you to disrupt the anxiety if you're, uh, you know, having a moment where there's cortisol pumping through you. Um, it can actually help your nervous system to recognize that you're okay, along with breathing. And I always say, you know, if you can do these in conjunction, breathing, oxygenating your brain tells your body and your nervous system that you're okay. And so that helps to calm you down so that, you know, EFT has been really powerful. I probably should use it more than I do, but when I do it, it is incredible. And there's so many practitioners who can very easily guide people through tutorials you can find online and you can try it for yourself and see if it's something that, that can help. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like sharing these tools that are easily accessible to people. And I'm a huge fan of like deep breathing that, and, and, you know, just breathing exercises in general, or like something that I use frequently, but I love that these are things that are accessible to mm -hmm. anyone. So can you talk to me about, so I know you have three boys mm -hmm. and Obviously, when we're talking about trauma that has occurred in our childhood, we want to try to break 
that cycle. And I know that is really important to you. So can you talk about when you became a mom, the impact motherhood had on you and also, you know, how you are working to raise your boys differently? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that I am a reluctant mother. And I only say that because I actually had never wanted children until I met my partner We've been together for 15 years now. And what was interesting was uh, I joke that, you know, my hormones made me do it. And I, I fell in love and decided, you know, okay, we, sh- we should have a child. But the moment that I realized that we were going to start a family, I, I thought I just want to have boys, which is ironic because, I mean, we certainly didn't try to plan that. I don't think there's anyone that can do that unless you're doing, uh, you know, in vitro or something. But we, or I rather, wanted to have a boy because I was afraid of what having a girl would be like, right? How much anxiety I would fear uh, I would have raising a girl. So funny enough, life gave me three boys. And I thought, well, having three boys, actually, as I learned more and more about parenting, and, and as I learned more and more about abuse and how the statistics, there were two things that came up. One is that just because I have a boy doesn't mean that my child won't be at risk because they definitely are. Statistically speaking, they're definitely still um, at risk. But two, I also wanted to make sure that I was raising humans that were going to go off in the world and be respectful and and that your daughter wouldn't need to fear my son. Mm. And that was so critical for me. So I thought, well, if I'm going to teach abuse prevention, it means abuse prevention in all ways. It means raising children that are also not going to become abusers, right? So preventing abuse from that perspective as well, because we always think, you know, we think about when we talk to girls, uh, this is what they need to know to prevent rape. And we talk about, you know, don't walk by yourself, don't drink at parties, don't wear short skirts. It's like all the things for them to protect themselves, but we're not talking about what should all genders be doing to not become abusers, right? To make yes. sure that, that they are being respectful of the rights of others. And so that was very much um, and continues to very much be in the front of my mind of the work that I do and why it's so critical that we aren't just talking about abuse prevention, but we're also talking about consent education. Yes, yeah. So as I decided to embark on, on this work, it was really key for me to highlight that to my children throughout their education of this content, that it's not just about them being safe, but it's about making sure that others are safe too. Yeah. And that's, that's my guiding light with raising my kids. Oh, I love that. So tell me what, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of educating our kids, of having those very open lines of communication and not shying away from these difficult subjects because that's not helping them or anyone. So can you tell me how you're raising your boys differently? We are very sex positive in terms of being open about sex education, which is very different from how I was raised. And so that's a really big shift. And we make sure that they know we are not about punishments or punitive measures. It's really about communication and um, helping guide. You know, so I look at parenting as I'm not the boss, I am the guide. 
Mm. And I'm here to support and encourage and guide and, and not to tell you everything about life. Like, I think that that's how my, I think how most parents kind of go into it. Like I have to give you all the skills and all the tools and everything. And, and while that's helpful, it can also impede them from developing themselves individually. Right. And so I think that we, and, and I can say this for myself, that I was regimented so much. Like I grew up in a very strict household and that was really pivotal for me to have this shift to realize I want my child to learn who they are from day one, not for me to tell them how they should be and act because that, you know, that's how I was raised. And I'm still trying to find myself. Mm-hmm. I think most adults are always trying to find themselves because they were so conditioned to be a certain way because that's how parents thought that their children would be more accepted in society or that they would be more liked and, you know, have better jobs or, you know, this and that. And so all these expectations were put on kids and they go off into the world doing the things that they think they're supposed to be doing. And they end up unhappy and trying to figure out who they are because Mm -hmm. their parents never let them figure out who they were. For me, that's like, I have a tendency to be a control freak because I was raised by one. And I, I always say I'm, I'm a, a recovering control freak because I can see where I slide back many times and I have to keep reminding myself that that doesn't benefit them in the long run. And so that's really huge for me. And part of consent parenting is that constant reminder that they are autonomous and we have to do our best to guide them and keep them safe and be that person that, that, you know, focuses on their health and safety, but also gives them the freedom to be autonomous beings who can find themselves. And that, you know, uh, consent parenting forces me to do that on a daily basis. So it's, it's an interesting dance, but I think that that's the most beneficial for my children. Yes, I could not agree more. You know, and it's funny because we all come into, those of us who are parents, we come into parenting with our own baggage, if you will, from Mm -hmm. our own parents uh, and our own upbringings. And I think, I mean, speaking for myself, my parenting has changed a lot, especially I have, you know, three daughters and they're teenagers now, all three of them, which I can't even believe those words just came out of my mouth. Three, (laughs) three freaking teenagers. Uh, But, you know, I I actually love this phase. Uh, I've loved all the phases. But um, anyway, so my parenting has changed over the years. And I've tried to unlearn some of the crap that I came into parenthood with. And I've tried to learn sort of try to intuitively parent, I guess, right? Instead of reading all the books and trying to figure out what society sort of tells me I should do as a parent, sort of put that aside and instead think about what I really know as a parent is going to benefit my kids the most. And I think what I've come to recently is allowing them, like you were saying, allowing them to explore exactly who they are and allowing Mm -hmm. them to express that right in the world and not putting my own stuff on them, not putting society stuff on them. Like you should do this, you should be that, but instead allowing them to figure it out, to be their guide, as you said, for sure, but give them that safe space where they know they are accepted and loved for exactly who they are. And Mm -hmm. I think that is such a beautiful gift to give them because then they don't go into adulthood trying to be what we want them to be. 
right? They kind of figure out and, and um, they'll make mistakes along the way. And I feel like that exploration and having those natural consequences is a huge learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, allowing them to grow into people who live authentically and who live without shame. And I really want to talk about that shame piece, because I know that's something that you've been working on releasing in your healing journey. Yeah. I mean, we don't realize how we shame kids a lot of times and, or even how media culture shames our kids. Right. And This is one of the reasons I think it's so critical that we raise critical thinkers, (laughs) for lack of a better term, because if we don't, then they just take on that shame, right? And we, as their parents, we have so much more power and influence than we realize. And when we shame our kids, whether it's conscious or unconscious, that really takes a toll on them and it's going to really change their behavior towards things. So for me, it's one of the things, you know, and I, I just did a TEDx talk on this recently was that I did something that I thought was going to create shame for my family. And it wasn't even something that I did. It was something that happened to me, but because of what I had been taught by my family and religion and society, I felt that I couldn't tell anyone what had happened. And that ended up creating all kinds of other behaviors and circumstances that were harmful to me, but I still felt I couldn't share it with anyone. And so when we don't explicitly let our children know that we love them unconditionally, then they may have shame to say something because they feel that our love is at risk. It's really key that we tell our children that we talk to them about this concept because, you know, we, we assume, I think a lot of times we assume, well, my child knows I love them. My child knows that I love them unconditionally. When was the last time that you reminded them of that? Mm. You know, I let my children know on a regular basis, there's nothing that you could ever do that would make me love you less. Yes. No matter what mistake you make, I still love you. If you make a mistake, if you think you did something bad, if somebody told you that I won't love you, they're not telling the truth. I will never cease to love you. And so I, you know, my, my kids are little, they're between the ages of six and 10. And I think that they know, but when I remind them, I can see the expression on their face change that they, they feel it and they love that reminder. And it's something that I want them to know when they are in trouble, when they did something that they think is you know bad or if they made a mistake, right? I don't want them to ever feel that they can't come to me or that they need to ever hide anything in the world because they think that that makes them unlovable. you know. And so that's a really big piece in parenting that I think uh, actually is a huge abuse prevention practice too, that a lot of parents don't recognize offenders will take advantage of. If you're in a rocky relationship with your child, regardless of what's going on, remind them, mm-hmm. I love you no matter what, even if we're, we're not agreeing on things right now, even if you're mad at me, or even if I'm mad at you, that doesn't take away the fact that I love you unconditionally. Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned like there are some unconscious things that we can put on our kids, not even realizing it. And I think some of it is just 
you know, some stuff that's been normalized in society. And so we just talk like, for example, like, um, you know, oh, when you get married, when you grow up and get married or when mm. you grow up and have kids, like we just we talk like this because we've always talked like it. everyone talks like that. Right. But then it came to my attention recently. My one daughter said, well, would you be mad if I didn't get married? And I was like, whoa. Mm. And it was just one of those like moments where I was like, wow, like we just normalize these things. And then they think if they don't want to do them, then they're wrong or they're bad or whatever. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, it, it just was such a light bulb moment for me and mm. how I, and how I talk about stuff. So what I just, you know, of course, what I said was like, you know, you do what you do, what makes you happy. Like you don't have to do that. You don't have to do anything, right. You figure out your own path, but it was one of those crazy moments where I was like, wow, like mm -hmm. just years and years of talking in what we think is just a casual way has put certain things into their minds as far as what you should do in life. Right. And it's like, yeah. whoa, you don't even realize it. Yeah, the expectations that, that they uh, they think we have. So yeah, it's it's so important. I mean, communication is everything. And and a lot of times we assume our kids think or know certain things that we feel for them or that, you know, or they assume expectations that we have, you know, just like you said. So it's just really good to check in, keep those lines of communication as open as possible, especially the older that they get. We think, oh, they're, you know, we gave them everything. They're, they're off. They don't want to talk to us anymore because, you know, they're doing their own thing. But you'd be surprised, you know, these, these little things can make huge differences. And we, we just have to stop assuming what our kids think because yeah. it's not always the case. So, yeah. yeah, that's so true. So tell me, aside from open communication, which I totally agree is so important, how do you educate your kids to know about consent, about sex positivity, about, I know I read on your website, orgasm equality, and I was like, hell yes. <laughs> but, uh, like, how do you, like, cause I think there are some parents who are going to be listening to this and thinking, oh my God, I would rather die than talk about orgasms with my child. Right. Mm -hmm. and, but like, so what would your advice be to parents or to people who have influence over younger people in their lives to open up these conversations around these, what we call quote unquote, difficult topics? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And, and it really depends on where your child is at developmentally. So it's going to look very different when you're talking about consent to a four-year-old versus a 14-year-old. And if anyone's just raised an eyebrow and said, we even have to talk about consent to a four-year-old. So consent is not about sex. Consent is about body rights. And I, I always want to remind parents that it starts with understanding this term agency or autonomy and really helping children at a very young age understand that, yeah, they are the boss of their body. And it's not just a catchphrase. It's actually about practicing how to honor that in ways that, of course, do not impede their health and safety, but that does honor their ability to express who they are, their likes and dislikes, their boundaries, to learn how to even understand what boundaries are and how to set them. So all of these things can be done from a very, very young age without ever having to say the word sex. So really understanding that is, is one of the first, you know, orders of the day is that 
Consent has to do with body rights, autonomy, boundaries, and learning how to respect other people's bodies, including having their bodies respected. So you can start from that perspective, which can you know encompass everything from like learning how to be respectful with your baby sister and asking her for a hug instead of just going in for the hug, right? And with grandma and grandpa, like being able to express to them, I don't feel like a hug today, but how about a high five? Yeah. Um, you know, so simple things like that. Use tools. There are so many books and videos out there today. There are educators who you can learn from to get more information on this, right? I'm certainly not the only one. There's lots of great organizations. So educate yourself. And if you do find that you get triggered by some of these things, then seek support. You know, don't do this alone. You don't have to do this alone. There's communities, there are, you know, of parents, there are mental health professionals that can help uh, guide you. So really get yourself set up for success. And then if your child, you know, is older and you're at the stage where you are needing to talk about sexual consent, you know, this is where educating yourself on sex ed is really important. One of my favorite, you know, resources that I love pointing people to is Melissa Carnegie. She has an amazing platform called Sex Positive Families. I can tell you that for me growing up in a sex negative home, it was not something that came natural but it is so natural to me now. It's still difficult at times. Don't get me wrong because my child is is a tween now. They're 10 and I have to start having talks with them about puberty and this next phase. And so everything has its stage. I think that the earlier you can have these conversations, the easier it's going to become as they get older. So start as early as you can. But if you feel like you're late to the party, don't worry. That doesn't mean that you messed up and it doesn't mean that you can't still have these conversations. It's just about being honest and saying, you know, we were supposed to have these conversations a while back, but I was kind of nervous to have them because I didn't grow up with this and I want to do better for you. And I'm sorry that I waited so long, but we can start now and let's get started. And what questions do you have? Is there anything that I can help you with? Is, you know, here are some of the things that I think you should be learning about right now and get yourself some tools like books, share some resources with them, let them know that you are a safe and trusted resource for them so that they can come to you for any questions, right? And slowly open up these conversations, check in with yourself and with them and Again, get support. These are not things that you're meant to do completely in a vacuum. And there are so many more tools today than ever. So just dive in wherever you can and get started. That's great advice. Thank you so much for that. So tell me, if you could put your life lesson that you'd like to share with the people listening into a little nutshell, (laughs) what would it be? I think the the life lesson is that wherever you are, it's never too late to start fresh. And for me, you know, I started doing this work when I was just about to turn 40. And a lot of people think, well, you know, you've been doing this career your whole life. Like, why would you do something so radically different now? But it was my it was my calling and that time to do it wasn't then it was now. And so really learn to listen to your inner voice. And if your inner voice is saying, do this thing, have this conversation, start teaching this now, then listen to it. Find, you know, I always say find support because 
a lot of times uh, we try to do these things on our own. And if we feel like we're going to fail, we stop ourselves and don't move forward. And if what will help you move forward is getting support, then get support. Mm -hmm. If you feel that you have the capacity to do it without support, then go ahead and start. Tune in, learn to tune into your inner voice because that's really your guiding compass. And I've fine-tuned it to where I really listen to it now and it always points me in the right direction. And fear used to block that. And I just, I've learned how to move past that because I've had support to learn how to do that. So don't waste time just contemplating things. Take action because this is your one life and you and your family deserve to find joy and happiness in it. Yes. Yes. To everything you just said, tell me what is next for you. What excites you about the future? I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to say it because I, I think that people should hear that it is possible to be living your, your best life. And I feel like I'm in that place right now. I had an amazing year last year because I was just living in my truth and uh, I'm continuing to do that. I have, I'm about to embark on writing my first book. And I say my first book because I feel like I, I have at least three books in me. And uh, this, this first one is going to be a, a parent's guide to um, abuse prevention education. So it's meant for survivor parents, but it really will be for all parents. So that book is in the making. I also was invited to join a new organization that is really a, a global organization that's going to be a movement to really catalyze everyone, all the organizations and governments in the world to focus and destigmatize ending sexual abuse for children and adolescents. So I'm very excited about that project. I'll be able to share more about it as soon as we're allowed to, but uh, right now it's still sort of in its infant stage and, and just uh, being able to continue working with parents and educating parents. My new program that I uh, did this year, which had tremendous success. I will be launching again next year. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And just, yeah, moved moved out West. So I'm living out West now and very excited about just living a very different, more connected to the earth kind of experience. So that's what's going on right now. That all sounds wonderful. And of course, your podcast continues, right? My podcast continues. Um, it's been on a little bit of a pause just because uh, it's been a very busy few months, uh, but I, it's getting up and going again. I have lots of episodes already lined up. They're just going to be released soon. But yeah, that's definitely still happening. Awesome. Okay. So are you ready for the final five? Let's do it. <laughs> so these are the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the first is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Okay. So this might sound a little cheesy, but I think it would be to be able to heal someone's emotional pain. Oh, that is not cheesy. That is wonderful. That could be like an amazing way to end wars or something. Like I think that we, I think everybody who's on either side of a fight is in emotional pain, right? And like, how amazing would it be to be able to heal that? And I think that would change that person. It would change the world. Absolutely. When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? I actually had two funny things. One was I wanted to be a nun. 
And, uh, and then I wanted to be a cardiologist and I didn't, I said no to being a nun because I ended up realizing what that would involve. And I didn't want to give up certain things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, uh, as a cardiologist, I ended up realizing like, I'm very squeamish when it comes to seeing, like I'm an empath. And so I, when I see someone in physical pain, uh, it's almost debilitating for me. So like I realized I can't be a cardiologist because I'd have to do a lot of cutting people open. And I don't know if I can yeah. do that. So, <laughs> so I, I changed, but those are the two things I remember very distinctly wanting to be when I was a kid. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? This is the hardest question on the planet because I'm a foodie and I would want like a whole lineup of <laughs> delicious meals. But I keep going back to this uh, meal called pupusas, which is a Salvadorian meal. And I guess it's probably just because it's such a comfort food. These like delicious tortillas filled with cheese and like all these other goodness things that go in it. So it'd probably be pupusas. That sounds good. Are they fried like crispy or? Kind of. Yeah, they get they get cooked and you eat them like with um, this almost like cabbage slaw kind of thing. And they're just oh, my God, my mouth is watering. (laughs) (laughs) Good old comfort food. I love that. Yeah. Who is a woman in history or present day you admire? So present day um, is Jada Pinkett Smith. I just, I love everything about her and her ability to just tell it like it is and be really honest and transparent. So I I, I look at her as a uh, inspiring woman who I would love to meet someday. So Jada, if you're listening. Yes, we're putting (laughs) that out into the world. I would love to meet you. Yes. Last but not least, what is your favorite quote? It's, The one from Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world that has, I think, traveled with me since I was a teenager. I remember seeing that and thinking, yeah, like if I'm not happy with something, if I think there's something wrong, then I'm sure I have the ability to do something about it, even if it's small, but that continues to to also be a compass for me. Yes, I love that quote. And you are absolutely doing a lot of great work in this world to change parenting, to change the next generation. And I so, so appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being here and sharing with us. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Mm -hmm.